Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the mini break. Your day podcast for the big storylines results and controversies from the tennis world today is Wednesday October 18th sadly we have finally hit that point on the calendar this is really one of the last capital L loaded weeks we have of the 2023 season of course what do I mean by loaded well of course we have six different tour level events to enjoy three for the men three for the women as such. It will be another two mini break podcast episode day for all of you listeners as I want to set the scene at each of the events happening around the globe. Of course, here on part one, I want to break down our three men's events looming, of course, over each of these tournaments is the race to the tour finals. Only four men have clinched their spots at that ATP tour finals. Djokovic, Alcaraz, Medvedev, Sinner, they're already all through. Spots five through eight are still up for grabs. Thus, it's worth noting right here off the bat, the players ranked six through 15 in that points race. They were all in action this weekend. Five of those 10 players have already been eliminated, but that speaks to, again, there's a little bit of urgency for all of these top ranked men as there is certainly a window for each of them to qualify for these two or finals. And as we listed on yesterday's show, given who the contenders are, players like Tommy Paul, Alex Diemenauer, Taylor Fritz, certainly a guy like Hubi Hercats, I think, probably falls into this category as well. How many opportunities will you really have in your career to qualify for a tour finals? If the window is at all open, you got to make a push to get through it. As such, again, we've got some loaded draws across our men's events. That's what I want to discuss here on part one. That means, of course, breaking down what's already happened so far this week in Tokyo, Stockholm, and Antwerp. Tokyo, of course, is our 500-level event. And look, we've already seen some upsets. I believe four of our top eight seeds already eliminated. Casper Ruud knocked out today in straight sets by former NC. CAA singles champion, UCLA All-American, and dare I say steady top 100 presence over the past three years in Marcos Giron. You also, of course, had third-seeded Alex Zverev, knocked out by Jordan Thompson, Francis Tiafo, Karen Hatchinov, each experiencing early exits. We'll break down those results, talk about where things stand in Tokyo as we inch towards another exciting championship weekend. Of course, that's your loaded, or most 
de- or your densest, that's probably the best word, densest draw in terms of top 50 player per capita we have this week. Makes sense, of course, as it offers the most points. But we've also now begun the European indoor hardcore stretch. We've got two of those events in Stockholm, in Antwerp. Each of them drew, dare I say, pretty impressive crowds, of course, in Stockholm. You've got top seed Holger Runa yet to begin his draw, but obviously he's got some interesting competition looming in the background. A guy in Talon Greekspor who, when he's been hot, has played as high a level as any non-top 10 player we probably have in the rankings this season. A guy in Adrian Manorino racing for the spot for the top Frenchman. He's been red hop. Countless others as well littered throughout the draw. We'll break down that event, and then, of course, we'll talk Antwerp or top seed Stefano Tsitsipas. Just looking to right the ship at this point in the calendar. He'll face some interesting contenders in that draw. You've got some young guys in Arthur Fee, a couple of veterans looking to capitalize on their ranking window in Yannick Hoffman, Jan Leonard Struff. Again, on part one here, we're going to break down all of our ATP results on part number two. We'll get into our three WTA events happening in Nanchung Monastir and Cluj-Napoca. Of course, the reason we have these episodes day in, day out is because of the support we get from all of you listeners. Always appreciate those of you daily listeners. Appreciate those of you who pop in whenever you feel most appropriate. Any of you who choose to engage with the tennis world through our podcast, we're immensely grateful for that fact. It's why we try to have episodes for you, not just here, but of course over on the Great Shot podcast feed, Cracked Interviews podcast feed as well. Content available on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. So if you haven't already, go like, rate, subscribe, review to all of those things. We always appreciate that fact. I know our sponsors, Tennis Point, certainly appreciate that engagement as well. And as always, a shout out to them, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. All right, let's start with Tokyo again. That's our 500-level event, and while we have seen some upsets, we still have top seed Taylor Fritz alive, fourth-seeded Alex Diemenauer needed every ounce of his physicality to reach the round of 16, but man, was it fun to watch him take on uh, Jack Draper in round number one. Diemenauer escaping ultimately 4-6-7-6-7-6 over the talented young Brit who... I mean, I'll get sidetracked here right away. I did not expect to lead with Demon Hour Draper, but longtime listeners of the show know my thoughts on Draper's upside. I think it's when, not if, he rejoins the top 50. Obviously, injury forced him to fall outside of the top 100, and he had to work his way through qualifying just to get into the main draw of this event. Obviously, a first-round upset. You're not going to be rewarded with that many points, but the 21-year-old has steadied the ship. He's back inside the top 100 uh, to and should remain there to end this season. And again, his forehand in set number one against Demonauer was the biggest weapon on the court, and Demonauer was afraid to test that weapon. Demonauer made the mistake, and I've mentioned this before in my coverage of Jack Draper, he made the mistake of trying to play through the lefty Draper's backhand. And while Draper's forehand is certainly the more effective weapon when he has time to swing through it, when he has time to you know, step into that ball. It's the heavier ground stroke. There's no doubt about that. The depth he can generate on that wing, the pace he can generate on that wing is demonstrably larger than what he can do on the backhand wing when he has time. 
But when pressured by pace, when in a defensive or neutral posture, I actually like Jack Draper's backhand better than his forehand. And that's why I think the lefty projects so well moving forward, because not only does he have the cannon of the first serve, not only does he have the big plus one forehand, the willingness and ability to excel at the net, but he has that underlying physicality as well. And again, he matched Demonauer's tempo. He was patient with Demonauer until he had a forehand to step into or change direction with. He was more disciplined than Demonauer in set number one in a late shaky forehand on a 30-40 break point at 4-5. Draper takes the first set 6-4. And again, to see that level from Jack Draper, not just in set number one, but set number two in absolute slugfest in this match as well. And you look overall in the match, Alex Demonauer, who is top 10 by break percentage uh, on the ATP tour amongst top 50 players this season, he was able to break Draper just three times in this match. And look again, it became a war of attrition and it's a real shame that Jack Draper, unfortunately, just didn't have his legs under him in that third set breaker. And towards the end of set number three, you could see how his cramping was impacting him. He couldn't extend on his serve at all. And just, again, as big as he was swinging from the baseline, you know Alex Diemenauer's underlying physicality. He's not going to be the one who's cramping out. He will always be physically in the war was that the tangent I expected to start my Tokyo coverage with? No, but it was the thing in watching everything I watched over the past 36 hours to prepare for this podcast. That was the match that stood out to me the most, not just by the four, scoreline 4 six, seven, six, seven, six. It was top 20, dare I say top 15 level hardcore tennis. And just your reminder, that's what Alex Diemenauer has played all season long. Demon now 40-22 and 22 overall on the year, 30-22. and 14 on hard court, so he's winning over two-thirds of his matches. He's made quarterfinals at six different hard court events this year. Now, none of them were the majors, but you look at what he did do at the majors. Round of 16 U.S. Open loss to Medvedev. Round of 16 Australian Open loss to Djokovic. He held seed at those two events. I think Demonauer has found that ceiling of, I don't, again, clay courts, grass courts, different discussion. He's one of the 12 best hardcore players in the world. And is 12 an arbitrary number? And am I cheating a little bit by not definitively saying top 10? I am cheating a little bit. Because there are those players with those elite caliber of weapons that on the right day, particularly in two out of three sets, three out of five, a little bit different story, but two out of three sets, they can catch Demon Hour on that day. Just serve lights out, keep pace with them, disrupt his forehand, maybe sneak out a six and five victory over Demon. But it will be six and five because, again, the underlying physicality of Alex Diemenauer, even if you have that elite weapon, you better be able to execute that elite weapon for two plus hours because that's what it's going to take to just, again, disrupt his rhythm. Obviously, the hold percentage for him, 80.2%, a career high for him at the tour level for a single season. It's still below the average of top 50 players by about 2%, but improving the break percentage again, 29.3. It's a career high. It's a top 10 number. Speaks to, again, he's going to make you work for everything. Does such a good job. His hands are so quick. And how many times do I have to say Alex Diemenauer, underrated Valier? Why is this? This is where I will end this Diemenauer opening tangent again, longer than I expected to go on this. 
But I said in December of last year, it's because I'm starting to map out what my off-season pods are going to look like. And I know to some of you listeners, you're thinking, wait, he maps out what he does? It's not just spontaneous? It's about 50-50. Um, I, Alex Diemenauer is one of the players I said 2023 was a make-or-break season for because 23, 24 years old, again, as he approaches what should ostensibly be his prime – we just hadn't seen anything new develop from Demon Hour. Yeah, we had seen improvements on the margins, but there had been no dramatic makeover of the forehand, no dramatic change in tactics. You know, again, just gradual improvements across the board. Well, with his underlying athleticism and speed, those gradual improvements, particularly more power more on the first serve and a willingness to go after the first forehand more frequently as opposed to just relying on that physicality it's improved enough on the margins where again he goes from now top 20 sort of guy lingering in that 18 to 25 spot to he is still alive in the year for the two, uh, in the race for the tour finals now if he were to win this week and all other contenders were to lose, he would find himself 105 points behind Holger Runa with some serious points left on the calendar. That would again, I just is there a world – ask yourself this as a tennis fan. How does Alex Diemenauer come this close again to a top eight spot in a year-end race? It would require at least one quarterfinal, probably quarterfinals at both hardcourt majors and at least a round of 16 at Wimbledon for Diemenauer. Does he have that season in him? I honestly think he does, so I do think he will approach – 9 to 13 in the points race again. Will he ever sneak in a tour finals appearance? I think he'll get one in his career before it ends. And again, he's only 24 years old. You feel like there still is a five-year runway for him to rely on that underflying, at least a five-year runway where he could be an RBA-type counterpuncher. I think I think it's RBA with a little bit more pizzazz. I think that's Alex Diemenauer. And again, I don't know if anyone's putting on their refrigerator and their Twitter profile. If he, Alex Diemenauer, you can alert him. Does he want to change his Twitter profile to Roberto Bautista Agu, but a little more pizzazz? I don't know if that's a Hall of Fame player. I'll tell you what, that's a really good player who's never going to have to work a second job in his life. Anyways, in the to answer the question... If 2023, as it was for me, was a make-or-break year for Alex Diemenauer, I don't know how you can say it wasn't just a make uh, for the 24-year-old Aussie, who, again, very impressive first-round victory over Jack Draper, of course. That was not one of the upsets we've seen thus far, but that was the most notable match in my mind. We've seen unfold. That said, a couple of other upsets we've seen across the board, certainly I view it as a schedule loss. Hubi Hurkacz coming off of the 1,000-level title in Shanghai. Takes the first set 6-3 over Zhang Zhizhen, but he just had no legs left throughout the course of that third set and was able to muster enough holds of serve to keep pace with Zhang, was able to connect on enough ba- uh, excuse me, inside-out forehands and get his legs up to just enough approach shots to, again, keep things competitive. But Hercots just wasn't extending rallies, particularly through the meat of that match, set number two, early stages of set number three, in the way he needed to, to pull away from the big-hitting now 27-year-old from China. And happy belated birthday, Zheng Zhizhen, turning 27 on October 16th. Uh, you look for Zheng Zhizhen now 30 and 28 
overall on this season into the round of 16 here in Tokyo. He's got a very winnable match against an Aslan Karatsev, who, by the way, Karatsev, a credit to him, knocking off six-seeded Francis Tiafu, three and six. By the way, no, I mean, look, I love Jose Morgado. I, I think there was a tweet of his, I don't think, where he alluded to it's been a little bit of a disappointing stretch for Francis Tiafo or a disappointment for Tiafo. And to his point, Tiafo has lost five consecutive matches, but it hasn't been a disappointing season for Francis Tiafo. Just let the record show, even with this first round exit, he's 37-19 and 19 overall in the year. Yes, he's lost five consecutive matches. Shelton, Goyo, Greek, Sporsenego, Karatsev. That's a rough stretch by name. What? One of those guys, Ben Shelton, is a top 25 player, Greek Spore. I guess two top 30 guys in Greek Spore, Shelton. But again, none of those guys have, like, other than Shelton, with the, well, Greek Spore, I'm actually pretty, uh, pretty uh, you guys know my thoughts on his season. Anyways, he's 37-19. He's still won two-thirds of his matches. Yes, it's been a disappointing stretch here for Francis Tiafo, but it's still otherwise been arguably the best season of the 25-year-old's career. He's got 37 wins this year at the tour level. That's more than any he's had in a prior season. Tiafo, of course, two uh, two titles. Houston Stuttgart, also part of that United Cup winning team, was a part of that Davis Cup disaster as well, but I guess made up for it with a Laver Cup title. Um, it's a bad loss. There's no doubt about it, although Karatsev does Karatsev things, and actually Karatsev's played pretty well down the season's home stretch. He's won consecutive matches now in three of his last, uh, excuse me, in two of his last three events. And if he can knock off Zheng Zhizhen, would make it three of his last four. Third round U.S. Open, semifinals, Zhuhai. Now the win here over Tiafo in Tokyo as well. Welcome back to the top 50. Aslan Karatsev currently sitting at 48 in the live rankings. What else stood out? Again, Hatchinov knocked out four and two by Alexi Paparin. It's been a career year for Popperin, who obviously wins a couple of titles, I believe, this season you look for. Or was it a couple of titles? He wins that title in Umag. No, that was just the single title in Umag, but quarterfinals of Cincinnati after it. That was the notable stretch. Obviously, struggled following that, but steadies the ship here with the 4-2 victory. And right now, Popperin currently sitting at a career-high 38 in the live rankings. Not too shabby a spot for the 24-year-old Australian to be, who got his serve, his forehand. And I'd call Popper and Nicolas Yari light. Tweet at me if you agree. At Al Gruskin, I, th- I do think that's the fair comparison for Alexi Popper. It's a slightly smaller, slightly less powerful Nicolas Yari, but still so 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 much power and still has a spot in the top fifty. That was a four and two upset. And then look, Marcos Giron has played brilliant tennis so far this week. I thought the level he played against Yoshihito Nishioka in his three-set round one victory, watching him just bunt down on the heavy topspin of Nishioka, watching him try to find inside-out forehands at these ridiculous positions of the court. He then brought that same exact level into his round of 16 match against Kaspar Ruud. And, you know, with that victory, it's a second career, uh, excuse me, third career top 10 victory for Marcos Giron. Giron now strong stretch here to end the year, qualifies and wins a couple of matches in Canada, wins now at his last four events, which you say, okay, like, does that mean that much? 
It does. That's how you keep your top top 75 ranking. That's how you just keep yourself in position to keep on pressing forward. Again, wins now for him in Canada, Chengdu, Astana, Shanghai, and Tokyo. So, excuse me, wins in five of his last uh, eight events. He didn't win matches at the U.S. Open, Winston-Salem, or Cincinnati. But to come from qualifying, now he's into the Tokyo quarterfinals, 500-level Uh, quarterfinal points. Always a healthy dose for the rankings and gets him up 18 spots back up to number 61. Not too shabby for the 30-year-old. By the way, has a very spicy matchup in the quarterfinals with Felix Ogier Aliasim, who will get a brief, brief Tokyo tangent here. And I don't imagine I'm going to spend this long, by the way, on the other events. But again, I really like this Tokyo draw. I also really have liked what I've seen from Felix of late, and I've mentioned this on a couple of podcasts when he's come up. I know the results haven't been there. Gets a win at Laver Cup. Yes, he loses matches 4-4 four and four to Runa in Beijing. He gets knocked out 6-3 in the third, uh, third to Fucevic in Shanghai. But go watch the film of those matches. Runa broke him right out of the gate in set number one. Played a really good return game. I forget if it was 3-all, 4-all in set number two to pull away from Felix. It required elite tennis, though, from Hogaruna to beat Felix on that day. I didn't think Felix played poorly. Similarly, I thought his backhand was actually firing particularly well against Fucevic. I thought he had that third set had numerous breakpoint chances. It felt like it had a stretch there in the third to pull away, but... You know, again, four Felix this week, three-set win over Alex Vukic, four and one over Sebi Ofner. He's into his first quarterfinal since Lyon back in May. You know, again, coming into this, Felix had lost nine of his last 10 tour-level matches and obviously still has a sizable quality uh, and quantity of points to defend from last season where he went Florence title, Antwerp title, Basel title, Paris semifinals. Now he's already lost those Florence points, but here we are on Antwerp week now, still a sizable chunk to go. You look for Felix right now in the live rankings. He's currently sitting at 19 overall. There's a world where he ends this season outside the top 25, and yet what I've seen from him of late, his forehand just overwhelmed Seb Ofner. And again, his backhand was the more consistent and more penetrating backhand in the exchange between he and Vukic, two guys who can get after the forehand, but obviously want to hit that forehand from all positions on the court. Felix was better at it, better at it than a guy who has shown a top 50 level so far this season. And again, I know that shouldn't be the standard for Felix, but given his struggles of late, I just think eye test-wise, Felix is playing more confidently. He's moving more confidently. He's playing far steadier tennis and giving himself uh, more extended opportunities to dominate with his forehand. And maybe even more notably, I know it's the 500-level event, but he's not playing indoor hard courts. He's playing here outdoors. That's an interesting scheduling decision for Felix, who obviously with his weapons, we've seen the success last season in the past, his first title of his career coming on an indoor hard court. We know how dominant the Canadian naturally can be on that surface. No, instead he plays his 500. He's into a quarterfinal worth against Marcos Giron, a guy who, by the way, he's 3-0 and against overall. Now, eye test-wise, Giron's playing elite tennis right now. He's probably, he's played better this week than Felix has. Felix still the 64.6% favorite. If he can get through that, he'd face the winner of Tommy Paul and Ben Shelton, who we'll get to, I guess, here quickly in a second. It's a fascinating opportunity for Felix to steady the ship. In his mind, he is 
better pedigree than any of these guys remaining in the draw. By the way, three Americans in this bottom half of the draw. Tommy Paul, Ben Shelton, each making the quarterfinals here. For Ben, talk about a relief. I guess we are going to do two quick uh, two more quick tangents, by the way. You look for Ben, you know, again, now a fourth match, where, uh, fourth event where he's won consecutive matches. Two more three setters for him. 7-6 in the third over Daniel. 6-3 in the third over Jordan Thompson. He's just hitting his forehand much more steady than he was three months ago. The backhand has gotten more consistent. Again, there's just more purpose, it feels like, in each choice that he's making. Not that they're Again, he just overwhelms you with his pace, with his athleticism, but it's just less spontaneous. It's especially down the home stretch in the third set against Jordan Thompson to see him go six cross before unloading on the inside out. He outphysical Thompson. It was I just haven't seen Ben win a match like that on the pro circuit where it wasn't just his weapons overwhelming his opponent. He's done that twice now this week against both Daniel and Thompson. And again, that's that gear number B, gear number C, where it's not just his weapons, which of course do ultimately carry him to victory, but it's not just that that's leading him to, uh, they lead him to victory, but they're not just carrying him, excuse me, to victory. That's probably the best way to phrase it. Anyways, it's third consecutive quarterfinal for Ben Shelton, who now, again, he's clinched a spot. He's going to the next gen finals. He's 18 in the live rankings. He's currently 18 in the points race as well. And you know, again, another guy could dominate on an indoor hard court with his weapons. We saw that at the challenger level last year. No, let me stay outdoors. Let me stay in Asia. Let me play this 500 level event, makes the most of it into a quarterfinal. And again, why is he relieved? Quarterfinals from the Australian Open going to come off his resume pretty quickly to start next season. He may fall in the rankings, but guess what? He ain't falling that far. Now he's got some points to back things up, and now he has rebuilt that runway to where it's okay. First nine months of the season, pre-U.S. Open, I'm going to have the opportunity to set my schedule again. I can play whatever events I want to play, and he can do that even without those Australian Open quarterfinal points. Even if he, God forbid, loses first round if you're Shelton, or let's say it's round two, maybe even round three instead of quarterfinals, that's plenty for Ben Shelton to still get into an Indian Wells, to still get into a Miami, to still play whatever clay court events he wants to play. And obviously didn't have a ton of success this past year at those events. You see the progress in the game. Obviously his confidence has returned as well. The coaching situation has steadied. Not that it was there was ever in flux, but he has the person he's most comfortable with, his father back in his box. Always going to be pro-Ben. Uh, obviously, to see his rise and cover it as closely as we have here at Crack Rackets, but great to see him playing great tennis. And look, it's a real head-to-head now. He and Tommy playing for a third time this season. And Tommy Paul, by the way, just very quietly, 44-25, and 25, 64% win percentage. He's now into his 10th quarterfinal of the season. By the way, 6th on hard courts. That's a top 10 number amongst top 50 ATP players. Still alive in the points race. Tommy Paul sitting at 12 in the live race. He gets a straight set victory over Mackie McDonald to advance to the quarterfinals. Three set win over Daniel Altmaier in round number one as well. Again, three Americans. Couldn't help myself. Paul versus Shelton. 1-1 career head-to-head. 
Uh, obviously, right now, Tommy, 58.6% favorite according to Tennis Abstract. Felix, 3-0 in the career head-to-head with Giron. He's a 64.6% favorite. Top half of the draw has opened up as three se- uh, excuse me, two seeds have been knocked out. Fritz will play- take on Shintaro Machizuki. Fritz, 4-3 and three over, of all people, Cam Nori. In round number one, Nori entering the week 18 in the live rankings. He's now lost seven, unfortunately, of his last eight matches. And you look for Nori overall in the year. What's the record? He's 35 and 23 overall. You go since Wimbledon has ended. So during this extended, what, North American and Asia hardcourt swing, Cam Nori during this stretch of time, three and 10 overall. That hurts. The three wins, Sue, Shevchenko, and Pullman's. I mean, some of the losses aren't bad. Rublev, Fritz, Demonauer, Umber 7-5 in the third, but the Arnaldi straight set lost. Karat seven straight sets. A couple of 7-6s obviously have gone against him during this stretch of time. He's 0-5 in breakers. He's holding serve just 79.9% of the time. Breaking serve, perhaps more notably, 20.3% of the time. This guy who's a top 25 returner on the 18, maybe even top 10 on the tour by percentage. It's a struggle for him. Certainly going to look for a reset, not only to end this season, but to start 2024. But a good win for Fritz. He'll take on Machizuki. You've got Green versus Popperin, Demonauer versus Schwartzman, Karatsev versus Jung Ji Zhen. Right now, Fritz, 36% favorite. Then Demonauer, Tommy Paul, both in the 17% range. Felix, 11.8 after that. That is a loaded preview of where things currently stand in Tokyo. Of course, we've got two other events going on this week. Let's move to Stockholm next. The first thing that comes to mind when I think of this event is 18-year-old Dino Prismich. Oh my goodness. I've said this before. I'll say it again. It's when, not if he's going to be a top 50 player. I think when, not if top 25 player. I know it's tough to put those sort of expectations on someone that young, but for those of you that don't know the story of Dino Prismich, the 20-year, excuse me, the 18-year-old, currently the highest ranked 18 and under player uh, in the world right now, currently sitting, if you look in the live rankings, Dino Prismich uh, sitting, I believe, and I apologize, I don't want to get this correct, but uh, incorrect, but he's currently sitting at 152 again. Right now, he's the highest ranked player under the age of 19, just ahead of Jakob Menzik, 155, Jerry Shung, 162. I actually think I like Prismich's upside more than any of them. And again, for those that don't know, Dino Prismich was, of course, one of the top juniors in the world. He wins the 2023 Junior French Open title this season. And yet he beats Lechechka on an indoor hard court. Yuri Lechechka, who, of course, made a quarterfinal of the Australian Open this year. He's been a top 50 player for all of the 2023 season. You know, Prismich, who had to qualify to get into this event, 3-5 and five was the victory. He got broken just once in the match, and he just out-hit Lechechka. When I see Dino Prismich... I see a Carlos Alcaraz mini-me. You see it from the le- – first of all, right in the legs, just the quads, the explosion, you know, that ability to swing through his forehand with every fiber of his being, his ability to just grip and rip at a moment's notice. He tries to mix in that drop shot as well. Again, it's a mini-me version of Alcaraz, but it's just that twitchiness. It just jumps off the screen. You know it when you see it. Again, it's tough for me sometimes to make cross-sport comparisons because – I'm not certain how many of you watch 
every other sport. But the way you see uh, uh, every sport of the comparison is, but the way you see Tyreek Hill for the Miami Dolphins, his speed, just his ability to separate from defenders, you just know it's special when you see that speed because even with the fastest athlete in the world, he still looks faster than the rest of them. Even with the guys who strike the ball harder than the rest of everyone else in the world, Dino Prismich seems to find that elite of the elite gear and you know, again, he's not the biggest guy, which is why it just comes back to that twitchiness, that explosiveness. You know, when you see it, and you, it just feels like we are in the rising, uh, we are in these early stages of Dino Prismich, and if he comes out and has a mat, you know, qualifies for Australia and wins a match or two there, certainly you could see him getting into the French Open, winning a match or two there as well. And you know, this is a guy who, so far this season, I know he's only made one Challenger final, but 18 years old, Dino Prismich, 53 and 18 in his last 52 weeks, 37 and 17 overall this year. A lot of success at the 15k, 25k level, but for what it's worth at challenger events this year. He's made the quarterfinals at eight different challenger events. Now he's one in seven in those challenger quarterfinals, but again, eight challenger quarterfinals for an 18-year-old ain't too shabby a foundation to lay. Of course, he made a quarterfinal in Umag. Now he is into, uh, of course, a round of 16 here in Stockholm as a qualifier, beating a top 50 guy in Lechechka, faced just one break point in the match. I mean, I'm just telling you, Go watch it for yourself. The forehand is what stands out. That ability to just dictate with that forehand on command. He's got the speed as well. And he just grips and rips. He plays on his terms. You got to respect it from someone that young, Dino Prismich, into the round of 16, where he's got a very winnable match against an Elias Emer who played rock-solid tennis, knocking out the uh, Roberto Bautista Agu 4-4. Four and four. Bautista Agu's probably going to end the season outside the top 50, 16-19 and 19 overall on the year. He's lost five of his last six now as well. Good win for Emer. Again, is Prismich the favorite in that match? No, Emer's slight favorite, 57.2%. Emer also playing on home soil. You always never bet never bet against an Emer, Elias, or Mikhail, uh, when, uh, Michael, excuse me, when they are playing in Stockholm. Other notable results thus far. Yeah, we've seen a couple of upsets. Lechechka knocked out. Pavel Kotov, 7-6 in the third over Chris Eubanks on an indoor hard court. That is an impressive win. Philip Miselic, 4-6 over Dan Evans. And then how about J.J. Wolf? Out forehand, Sebastian Baez, a 6-2 and two win for Wolf. Wolf still has some points to defend here to end the season. Made a Florence final this time last year. Now, he's obviously coming off of an impressive round of 16 performance at that Masters event in Shanghai. But good follow-up victory for him over Sebi Baez, although I do believe today he was knocked out by Laszlo Jera. Still, uh, again, good win for Wolf over Baez as he tries to hold on to a top 50 spot to end the season. Currently sitting at 56 in the live rankings, but given his Columbus, Ohio roots, his success on indoor hard courts at the challenger level and in the past at hard court events, uh, no reason to think J.J. Wolf can't end this season gathering a little bit of momentum. Again, seeds knocked out thus far, Lechechka, Eubanks, Baez, Evans. None of the top four have been knocked out thus far, and not many of them have played Thus far, either you had Talon Griekspor, 6-4, and four, impressive victory for him over Rusevori today in round number two. Pavel Kotov, by the way, knocked out Lorenzo Sinego. Sinego, a fun three-set win over Lajevic in round number one. Laszlo Jera, again, the win over J.J. Wolf to advance. But, of course, your seeds here in Stockholm this week. Top seed Holger Runa. 
He needs to get some wins. He's going to get a tricky one. Mimir Kesmanovic, who earned an impressive, was never in doubt, his first round win over Carl Freeberg. Again, he's just going to give you no free points. Holger's going to have to be ready for that physical challenge. Uh, that'll be a first-round matchup for him. Of course, Dino Prismich, that would be a really fun. Runa versus Prismich would be a delightful quarterfinal. Cheers to hoping we get that battle. Winner would play the winner of Greek Sport Kotov in the semifinals. Bottom half of the draw, top-ranked Frenchman. Adrian Manorino looking to continue his run of success. He will have an absolute battle as he takes on Roman Safulin. Safulin, one of 13 men to rank top 25 in both hold and break percentage. And obviously Safulin coming off of a final in Chengdu, a third round appearance in Shanghai, where of course he knocks off Zverev and Murray got a first round win here in Stockholm over Sabeth Vild. That could be the final. Honestly, those are probably the two players playing best in this draw. And for Adrian Manorino, that's his opening match of the event. Right now, you look at the draw. Uh, Gael Monfi, an 18.3% favorite. Uh, he's your favorite. Uh, uh, excuse me, a 32.6% favorite to advance to the final. He's your favorite in the bottom half of the draw. Where guys like Mychek, Wawrinka, Jera, all still alive. Keep an eye on Thomas Mychek, though. He's had a ton of challengers, successive late, and the lucky loser gets a first round victory. Uh, no, got a lucky loser and got a buy after there was a withdrawal, evidently from the number four seed. Um, Top half of the draw, Hogaruna, your favorite, 25.2%. He's also your favorite uh, to win the event, 42.1% favorite to get to the final. But keep an eye on Greek Spore, 19.9%. It goes Runa, Greek Spore, and then Monfi, your three favorites. But again, they like Runa, Greek Spore more than anyone else. They meeting the tennis abstract singles forecast. I would be inclined to agree. That's where things are in Stockholm. And then... In Antwerp, still waiting for top seed Stefano Tsitsipas to begin his campaign. The top seed will kick things off against the always tricky Botik van de Senschkop. That'll be a first career head-to-head between the two, of course. Uh, if you're looking for upsets thus far, haven't really been many. Giovanni Pericard, uh, the qualifying Frenchman, big server, 7-6 in the third. He knocked out six seed Roberto Carbeas Baena, but again, indoor hardcore. I don't know how shocking a result that is. You also had the lefty Max Martyr, three and four over Richard Gasquet. Lefty with a big serve is always a tough matchup for Gasquet, and Martyr just was swinging freely. Outside of that, good to see Nuno Borges leverage a Shenzhen challenger final into a first-round win over a man who's been in form of late, Dominic Kopfer, Hugo Gaston, the Frenchman who has not had a lot to celebrate of late. He gets a first-round win. Shout-out to the birthday brother, Juan Pablo Varias. He's into a hard-court quarterfinal. Can't say that. He's had many of those in his career. Straight set win over the recently Shanghai quarterfinalist Fabian Marazan, and then a straight set win, excuse me, three sets over Alexander Shevchenko today. Um, yeah, speaking of Shevchenko, he earned a nice three set win round one over Benjamin Bonzi. I liked Hanfman wins over the talented youngster Alexander Bluck of Belgium. Van de Senschkop, a good three set win over Stricker. And then how about Dominic Team? Out physical the young Italian Luca Nardi down the home stretch. Three set win for team who is just playing top 100 tennis again. Back up to number 96 in the ranking, or currently sitting at 96, excuse me, in the live rankings. I don't know if he's, he's certainly not a top 25 player right now. 
He's starting to look more and more like a top 50 player, though, slowly but surely for Dominic Team, who will have a serious threat in facing the weaponry of Yannick Hoffman, who's just going to take time away from Team, and obviously Team with those big back swings wants time more than anything else, so that's a fun contrast of styles there. Other than that, Arthur Fee into another quarterfinal. If Arthur Fee is not your player to watch break into the top 20 in 2024, you're just not doing prognosticating right. He's 37-19 and 19 over Overall on the season, he's into tour-level quarterfinal number five now overall on the year as well. And by the way, he's advanced to four semifinals in his four quarterfinal appearances thus far, so potentially a fifth semifinal for Fee. I mean, you could argue he's already broken out this year. I think breakout player of the year, him versus Ben Shelton, is a really fascinating race for what you value most, the big slam breakouts, or who actually had the better start-to-finish season. I mean, points-wise, again, Shelton wins that race, but I think quality-wise, Fee has been the more consistent player, certainly, of the two. Again, it's a fascinating discussion we'll have in November. The point is, Arthur Fee is as good as advertised. He's the best French prospect we've had in over a decade. He will be a staple at the top of the game. I'm I'm pushing all the chips in on Fee. Six and six win over Lyle into a fifth quarterfinal on the season. Um, he'll take on the birthday brother, Juan Pablo Farias, in the quarters. It'll be Pericard versus Bublik in the other quarterfinal as well. Again, Tsitsipas going to take on Van de Team versus Hanfman. Martyrer going to take on Borges. Gaston will take on Struve. Right now, according to Tennis Abstract, Tsitsipas, a 33.2% favorite. Then you've got Fee, 17.8. Bublik, 14.5. Jan Leonard Struve, 13.2%. Can Stefano Tsitsipas right the ship? Again, he should qualify for the tour finals. He's currently about 505, but not current, not about. He's 505 points up on eighth place Hogaruna, 605 points up on ninth place Taylor Fritz. But again, what has he really done since winning Los Cabos? You look for him overall. He's since winning that Los Cabos title, he's four and six overall. Is Stefano Tsitsipas playing this indoor 250, looking to steady the ship? Certainly something to watch for as we monitor Antwerp. That said, that's your look at our three tour level events happening this week on the men's side. Again, that race for the tour finals certainly looming as the largest storyline that Tokyo 500 draw absolutely loaded. So, you know, we'll be leading the show with that all week long but of course we'll be back later today to talk about our three WTA tour level events happening in Nanchung Monastir and Kluge Napoka of course the reason we're able to produce two podcasts in this single day is because of the tireless efforts of our super producer Daniel Westoff who as always has a f- of an editing job to do day in day out making all of our content possible a shout out to him a shout out as well to our dear friends at Tennis Point you all know the deal tennis-point.com the promo code is CR R15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. With that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.